This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, February 13th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. Last week, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders released some of the details connected to her education reform plan called Arkansas Learns. This weekend, Roby Brock, with our partner Talk Business and Politics, asked Arkansas's Secretary of Education, Jacob Oliva, about that plan. Governor Sanders has been very clear that improving education in the state of Arkansas is going to be her priority, and this vision is going to help us move that needle. All right, let's talk about education freedom accounts first, because I think that's going to be a, a new concept to a lot of Arkansans out there. Kind of what will they allow? Who's going to qualify and how do they work? I think would be just a general question. So I think it's important to note that this this entire comprehensive package is really about improving learning and access for learning for all students. And I'm a product of public schools. I worked in public schools. I believe public schools should be the first and best choice for families and students. But the reality is a one-size-fits-all approach to public education may not meet the needs of all students and families. So what this program does is it creates opportunities for families and students to find alternative methods to the traditional public school. Some families may choose virtual schools, some families may choose home schools, some families may do dual enrollment or choice opportunities within a school district. But this Freedom Fund is about providing dollars to families and resources to families if they want to choose uh, primarily private education. Uh, it, that concept's not new to Arkansas. There, there's a small program right now right. called the Succeeds program. This is really going to expand on those opportunities for families. The Succeed program, I think, is a tax credit. Is this going to be um, a tax credit? Is it going to be money up front? Um, do you, I know some states have like a card that allow you to, you know, charge expenses on it. How will the the Freedom accounts work? So part of that those details I think are still being ironed out as we work with the legislature, but kind of the, the overall concept is that uh, students would be able to enroll in a private school that participates in this program. It's important to note that this isn't being forced on families, this isn't being forced on private schools. There, there's going to be conditions that have to be met and criteria to, to make sure that if parents are choosing this opportunity that their, their children are going to be educated appropriately. But the, the, the spirit of this would be when a private school uh, signs up to participate in this program and is vetted that they would receive direct payments from the state for that to happen. Okay, so um, and the conditions that you're talking about that they would have to kind of uh, adhere to, those will be developed in rules and regs probably as this law would be implemented. You're right, as, as we work out those details and we'll see what's in the legislative package and then additionally there'll be state board rules but we want to make sure that the schools are accredited, that they're assessing their students in an appropriate manner and that they have the ability to to open to open school. Um, this is a three-year phase in. Um, tell me why that was decided to do that way. It will eventually be universal and would the first year be this next school year? Do you think it can get in place that quickly or do you think it'll be the year after that? The, the intent would be for this upcoming school year for 23-24 to get the program up and running, which is why it's phased in. It, it's it's going to be scaled in over time because we're, we're building a lot of systems. We're going to develop a lot of rules, but we're going to prioritize our most fragile learners. St students that are stuck in a failure factory, if, if their zip code school is, is an F and, and, and they know that they can thrive in another learning environment, we're going to make sure we prioritize those students, prioritizing students with disabilities, prioritizing students that are learning English as a second language. We have some students that are in the, in the foster or homeless uh, programs. We want to prioritize those students and, and the students of our, our military uh, service members as well. Um, all right, let's move to another portion. I, I think this is from some of the information that was released on this. Uh, one of the things is no school employee or student is required to attend training on prohibited indoctrination or critical race theory. Give me an example of something that might be gray in that area. Like so say a school has to do uh, racial sensitivity training or something. How do you handle a situation like that that is not going to alarm people that, that you're trying to control what's going on? So I think it's important to note that some of this language is preventative in nature. And when you're talking about uh, topics that may be sensitive to some, to some people, whether it's training for adults or or coursework for students, we need to make sure that those controversial topics are taught in a fair and unbiased manner where uh, students are able to look at different points of view, that they're able to debate, to, to be able to critically think. We should be teaching students how to think, not what to think. Mm -hmm. and, if, and if an educator is using an opportunity to open the door to 
indoctrinate students in their personal beliefs and biases, that's not the role of an educator. It's about making sure we have a fair and balanced approach and that we teach historical facts accurate and that we're developing our, our students to become critical thinkers. There will be fear from some people though that the limitations on what you're gonna put on that type of teaching is indoctrination in and of itself from the state's perspective. How do you combat that argument? So the state sets standards that are in courses. Th those standards in the courses outline what we expect students to know and learn. If a teacher's teaching the standards, which is what they're hired to do, then they don't have anything to worry about. Uh, another element that I think is part of the plan is eliminating the Teacher Fair Dismissal Act. Um, this basically has been something that's been a protection for teachers for a, a number of decades. Have you been here long enough to hear that that is problematic or do you think that the uh, putting this in this legislation is a little bit more philosophical, ideological in terms of conservatives have had issues with teachers unions for a long time? So I've, I've been very fortunate in a few short weeks to, to visit schools all across the state, to meet with superintendents, to meet with principals, to hear from teachers, talk, talk to parents and students, and hear about ways or things that we can improve. The, the research is very clear. There is no greater impact to student outcome and learning than the teacher standing in front of the students each and every single day. So the more we can invest, the more we can coach, the more we can develop educators is gonna continue to be a priority. But if we have a bad actor or a teacher that's not doing their job, they're hurting kids. And this is about protecting the rights the students learn and not about adults' feelings. And we're going to take immediate action and set up schools to be able to do that. You've been a teacher before, so you would obviously have some sensitivity to what it's like to be, uh, I guess, to have some sort of law or some sort of procedures that are going to govern what you can and can't do. You, you'll be comfortable with that? Teaching is a tough job. <laughs> T teaching is a calling. Uh, teachers. Um, consistently go above and beyond to meet their students needs but if a teacher is acting in the best interest of a child and they're doing at their heart what they feel is right to improve learning and outcomes for those students they're teaching courses grade level expectations and standards then we're going to support and continue to support those great educators that go above and beyond and that are having an impact on student learning I want to switch to reading proficiency. Another huge part of this is trying to find ways to make kids more literate. I know Arkansas is, uh, I think maybe around, it depends on what scores you look at though, 30, 35% can read proficiently by the time they enter the fourth grade. Uh, why do you think, no state does a very good job on reading proficiency if you look at the state rankings. How, how realistic do you think you can move the needle on that? Do you think you can move Arkansas from 30 or 35 to 40 or 45? or do you think it can go much higher than that? I think it can go much higher. I, I don't think we're gonna stop working or acting with urgency till we can get 90 to 100% of our students at or above grade level in, in third grade. And what I really appreciate about this bold vision and this investment that Governor Sanders has outlined and that we're working with the legislature on is it prioritizes that early learning space, the, the birth to four, four space, the, the voluntary pre-kindergarten space, looking at kindergarten readiness. We know that if we can get students to come to kindergarten ready to learn, that sets them up successful to be able to read and learn by third grade. And it's really gonna invest in professional development in a unified coordinated system to make sure that uh, the process is, isn't, isn't fragmented. And if we do have students that are struggling to learn, we're gonna give teachers and families and parents the resources to fill in those holes. That, that metric by third grade and beyond, we, we talk about the early learning space from um, birth to, to third grade as students are learning how to read. That is a big metric because from, from fourth grade on, students read to learn. So we want to make sure every student is set up for a path for success. Jacob Oliva is Arkansas's Secretary of Education. He spoke with Roby Brock from our partner, Talk Business and Politics. More from their conversation can be found at talkbusiness.net. Arkansas Democrats have also proposed a bill to raise starting teacher salaries to $50,000. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith recently spoke with State Representative Denise Garner, a Democrat from Washington County, to understand what options the legislature might use to support educators. Their discussion took place Wednesday, just a few hours after Governor Sanders announced provisions in the Arkansas Learns package. Rachel asked Representative Garner what she thought about what she heard from the governor. 
Well, actually, it was a little bit difficult to hear her because she was in the rotunda and the, the sound is not great. But, um, you the know, echoes. Do, <laughs> it does. It echoes terribly. So it was a little bit difficult to hear. Um, the first thing I heard is that um, she has increased the teacher pay raise, which I'm extremely happy about. We, the Democrats had a bill. Uh, we have a raise, the Raise Act uh, that we wanted teachers to make to make sure that teachers were were uh, given a ten thousand dollar raise and then the minimum fifty thousand. So she came up to that. So I'm extremely happy about that. Um, she didn't mention anything about support staff, uh, which is a little bit uh, disconcerting. So I do think that we need to uh, talk more about that. I heard her talking a lot about school choice, um, which is just you know another term for vouchers. And um, I do have some concerns about vouchers, uh, certainly, um, especially the accountability, the accountability not only to the children to make sure that they're getting the best, best uh, education they can get, but, but also to the communities and the public schools and also to the taxpayers. Uh, the taxpayers' public funds are going to education, then we need to make sure that, that we're accountable for those funds. So. So, you know, I did not hear any of that. Um, we have not seen the bill. So the only thing that we have is the poster so far um, and, you know, the devil's in the details. So I'm anxious to, to see the bill. It's about a hundred pages I've been told. So, um, you know, I'm anxious to, to see that. And this is a draft. We won't have the bill probably for another three weeks is what she said. So, so we've got some, you know, we've got some, some things to discuss for sure. And I'm curious about the sentiment among um, some of the lawmakers on the floor. I mean, is this, it is such a big plan, but is there kind of the sentiment that, you know, we're not going to change many things. We're kind of all on the same page, or is this definitely from what you see, there's going to be know, room I, for I, a conversation. I think there is some room for conversation. I think there's going to have to be, um, you know, I think the, uh, there are some on my committee, Republicans, even Republicans and Democrats that have some some concerns, especially about the accountability. But I think, you know, um, like I said, we we don't have the details yet. And until we see the details, then it's really difficult to to get on board with the bill. So, um, you know, I, I learned my first term that you don't sign on for a bill until you know exactly what's in it. And we do not at this point. I know there are several folks that have seen um, portions of the bill. I'm not sure anyone has seen the bill in its entirety. Should a teacher pay raise bill be separate from this plan? Is there a benefit or, you know, to those who point out and say Governor Sanders is already including that minimum within that omnibus bill? Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, you know, we we really feel like um, the things that we agree on, we need to be governing. And uh, we agree, Republicans and Democrats uh, both agree that the teachers need a raise. Um, we certainly feel like the support staff does too. So we need to, we do need to pull that in. in. But, um, you know, it doesn't make sense to me in Arkansas to have an omnibus bill. That's what DC does. You know, that's, that's why we don't get anything done in the federal government sometimes. So, you know, I don't think we need to be doing that sort of thing. We have a clean bill that takes care of teacher raises. And um, I think that's what we should stick with. When was the last time teacher salaries were updated um, if in oh, the legislature, right? In a, in a sense of, of this magnitude. You know, we did, since I've been in, this is my third term and we have raised the salaries once since I've been there. Um, but that was, that was the first time in a, in a long while as well. So it, they're long overdue. And the thing is, is that they've never been paid enough. And uh, we certainly have a teacher shortage uh, We've certainly asked them, you know, we, we tend to drop every community problem at the door of the classroom. And we ask teachers to do so much um, without giving them the resources to do it. And um, that's not fair. It's not right. And we need to we need to make those changes. We need to pay the teachers what they're worth. And then we need to give them the resources to um, and the respect they deserve, I think. So th those are my new three R's, I think, is. Uh, respect, uh, resources, and remuneration. We've got to we've got to make sure the teachers have what they need to take care of our kids.
have any constituents or teachers reached out about, I mean, the very real implications of this bill and what it could mean? And, and most, you know, most of the contacts have been before today. I haven't, I haven't had a chance yeah. to check on constituent uh, emails or texts today, but um, I, I think every teacher that's paying any attention at all is concerned. Um, they're concerned about um, the public system. It doesn't help to raise teacher salaries if we gut the public school system and um, and they don't have a means. One of the things that she mentioned was uh, repealing the Fairness for Teachers Act, uh, which means teachers basically could be fired without even know, knowing why. And, um, you know, if we're going to gut the system enough that there are no public schools or teachers can be fired for you know, for no reason, for a personality conflict with an administrator, then, you know, we're not doing them any good by giving them salary raises. So, you know, we've, I've got to talk to my constituents. Uh, we all have to talk to our constituents to find out um, how they feel about the pros and the cons. And because this is an omnibus bill, do we vote? You know, what is it that's going to keep us from voting for this bill? And, um, that's that's a big question. That's why I think we need separate clean bills for each one of these things, because we could vote on a lot of these issues and be absolutely um, in, together uh, in a non in a nonpartisan way. Uh, but there are a few things, including the vouchers, and I I think I think she knows that um, many of us, including the Republicans, would not vote for vouchers without that big salary in there. Is there an opportunity for negotiation and compromise within this bill or for Democrats to work with uh, Sanders' Arkansas Learns bill? You know, I, I hope so. Um, as far as I know, I'm one of two Democrats on the Education Committee. I have not seen any of the bill. As far as I know, no Democrats have seen even portions of the bill. And I know that there are Republicans that have at least seen portions of the bill and given feedback. You know, I would hope that we would have a bipartisan effort to um, make the bill better, but I haven't seen that yet. You know, I do think that um, there are a lot of uh, Republicans who do feel the same way uh, about some of the voucher issues and the public school, uh, you know, the, the problems with the public schools um, with this with this program. So, you know, I I hope she's been talking to them as well. Um, but I just don't, I don't know. I haven't, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me is accountability, whatever academic, um, system we're using, we have got to make sure that we're accountable to every student in Arkansas. We've got to make sure that, uh, students with low income who this voucher will not pay for a total of, 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 uh, the private school tuition. So, you know, if they can only have half of that tuition pay, that's not going to help them anyway. The rural students who don't have access to private schools or parochial schools, um, those students with special needs who, you know, are they going to have grants? Are they going to have, you know, all the kinds of things that, um, that special needs students need, whether that's physical or learning disabilities? And you know, I think we have to be accountable to the communities because public schools are their community. And that's, you know, that if, if they lose their public schools then their communities are, are dissolved. And I think we have to be accountable to the taxpayers. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith spoke with State Representative Denise Garner last week via Zoom. The Alma Education and Arts Foundation presents Cross That River at the Skokus Performing Arts Center, February 25th at 7.30 p.m. Cross That River is based on real history in which black cowboys lived and helped settle the West and takes audiences on a musical journey into why black lives matter. Tickets at 479-632-2129 or skokuspac.org. Theater Squared presents Kim's Convenience on stage through February 19th. Before it became an award-winning hit comedy series on Netflix, the playful, sweet, and hilarious story of the Kim family and their charming corner store was a smash on stage. 777-7477 or theater2.org for tickets. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. 
The death toll from the earthquake that struck Turkey and Syria a week ago today is more than 30,000. Thousands of buildings are reduced to rubble and thousands more people have been left homeless. People, communities, and organizations around the world are working to raise money, including the Bentonville Islamic Society and the Islamic Center of Northwest Arkansas. Muhammad Ali Aladen, president of the society, says the community has shown support. But our community has been very strong and very generous. And to be honest, the whole of Bentonville, I'm getting calls from Rogers, I'm getting calls from Fayetteville, I'm getting calls from Bentonville area. A lot of other people coming and saying, hey, how can we donate? Can we come to your center and do some donations? Today, people can drop off items at the Central United Methodist Church off Dixon Street from 6 until 8 p.m. Monetary donations will still be accepted after today through the Turkish Embassy in Houston. For questions about what items are needed or about making a financial gift, you can email the Bentonville Islamic Society at bicnwa at gmail.com or search Islamic Center of Northwest Arkansas on Facebook. Contact information for the embassy will be available with the full episode of Ozarks at Large, found at KUAF.com. The Lemke Project, a student media training program through the University of Arkansas School of Journalism, began this past weekend, and it will continue through every Saturday in February and March. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope met with some of her Report for America Service Project student mentees from the Mountie Spectrum, Rogers High School newspaper, and she'll be at the Lemke Project as a coach. This weekend, she sent in this audio postcard. So it's about a quarter till nine, and I am almost on the University of Arkansas's campus for the Lemke Project. I'm gonna go and meet with some high school journalism students or students involved in their high school newspapers. Hopefully we can find a good place to park. Let's go. Student journalists sleepily shuffle into the university classroom, and a few are involved in my Report for America service project at the Mountie Spectrum, Rogers High School newspaper. Some stopped on their way to their seats for a donut or granola bar as their teachers grabbed a cup of coffee. Every year, the Limpy Project hosts high school student journalists in Northwest Arkansas. Over six weeks, students listen to guest speakers, meet university faculty, and write stories. How many of you hate asking hard questions? Or do y'all like to ask hard? <laughs> Maybe I should reframe it. Do y'all like asking hard questions? How many of you are nosy? Own that. Yes, that's amazing. That is an amazing trait, and we're going to figure out a way for you to tap into that in a positive way. After listening to introductions and the first speaker, we pushed in our rolly chairs to march outside for a quick tour of the campus and the relatively new journalism school. Some of these students go on to earn journalism degrees. Others pursue different paths. One of the project's goals is to expose students to more media literacy and encourage them to ask questions. This is my first time at the Limke Project, and I'm not alone. Senior Nick Quinn is a student reporter at the Mountie Spectrum, is new to the event, and is here to learn more about writing. Um, I want to be an author. I want to uh, publish a work. Um, preferably fiction, so um, whatever gets me to that goal. Unlike Quinn and I, Damian Ruiz, the Mountie Spectrum's design editor, is a veteran of the program. Ruiz says he discovered his passion for photography at the Limke Project. So I wanted to come back and see how, uh, how I could further uh, pursue my career and stuff like that. The multimedia stories students write will be produced, edited, and then published. The articles will make the yearly newspaper the Multicultural News. For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Anna Pope. I'd like to say howdy! <laughs> Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History is here with me. Who'd we just hear? Well, that was Minnie Pearl. That I guess you have to be of a certain age uh, to know. And we've had her on before. 
mm-hmm. when I believe we did uh, a profile of Johnny Cash. Right. She was at his toast and roast. But she was in Arkansas to promote Safeway food stores. And in that clip, you know, she would normally wear a like an Easter bonnet type hat. With the price tag still hanging on Yes, but she was wearing a Safeway ball cap, and she had come to do a promotional thing. And that leads us into the theme for this week's trip through Prior Center Archives. Which is a little random, but they sometimes can be. Um, The way these archives are organized, at least up to 1993... There was a computer system in the building of the television station. KATV. Yes, it was in the accounting department. There was no computerized newsroom. And so every quarter or so, every you know three months, there would be a dot matrix printout of these books of all the information that was entered. And they were cross-referenced. Uh, by personality, so mm-hmm. you could always look up someone's last name, or they were doubled with a subject category. And, sure. you know, there there were scores of categories that, that were sort of made up for this, this system because it, it had never been done before. This was sort of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants thing that Jim Pitcock came up with. But... There are some obvious categories. You know, you have military, you have civil rights, you have, you know, weather, fire. But then there, I've, I come across some kind of unusual ones that I had forgotten about. And I came across this one called Famous Person. Many of these people that you're going to hear, you have to be of a certain age to even know, know who, who they, they are. are. Okay. But um, they're pretty famous, so hopefully you're aware enough of history that you'll, you'll know who these people are. This next person you should know. You should, yes. This is this one of is the greatest trumpet players ever. Someone who helped develop an American art form. Yes, yes. Satchmo, yeah. Louis Armstrong, was passing through Little Rock, and this was 1966, and uh, Jim Pitcock, the news director, uh, met him at the airport. And uh, here's the interview that Jim did with him. Armstrong, you're 66 years old now, and I guess you've uh, traveled quite a few miles uh, yeah, we, making appearances. Well, we traveled quite a bit. We've been all over the world several times, you know. And I think uh, the people everywhere is really nice. How did you uh, start your career? Well, from a kid, just like the usual story, but mine was uh, when I started from the orphanage. And uh, quite naturally, you get among the the big wigs in music, uh, you know, and uh, they feel that you have something on. Uh, they always help you. And, you know, when you look around, you're playing music like everybody else, you know, and enjoying it. Um, the next one, here's another one that you have to be of a certain age. Yes. But um, I grew up when this was on the air. As a matter of fact, when I was born, it was the number one program on television. And this is kind of an odd story, but they were going to induce labor with my mother. <laughs> and it was the doctor's favorite show. And so, In the days before VCRs. Yes, and this was on a Saturday night. You know, it was appointment viewing. And he said, okay, what I want you to do is Saturday afternoon, pack a bag. You guys have dinner, watch Gunsmoke, and then come on down to the hospital and we'll have that baby. So I was born on a TV schedule. And <laughs> Makes I, sense that well, you end up doing what you do. I was born at 10.01, yes. so right as the 10 o'clock news started. Anyway, Ken Curtis played Festus who was the, the comic relief yeah. Yeah, of the show. But he was actually a really good actor and apparently a great singer. I was talking to Jim Pitcock this morning. He said he actually started off singing with the Sons of the Pioneers. Oh, I did not know that. And then got the acting gig, but 
he kind of liked Arkansas. He came and uh, was at the state fair, rode a horse down Main Street, Little Rock. Okay. And um, this was really strange that I found. He came to Little Rock just to attend a fundraiser for the newly opened McClellan High School. Well, it's just that uh, I had a wonderful letter from the, all the student body at uh, John McClellan High School, and I, uh, I'm here to uh, help raise some money for their booster club and help, uh, of course, you know, they were having a big talent contest out at John McClellan uh, uh, Stadium tonight. And in case it rains, of course, we'll go inside the gym, but uh, we'll, we'll hold a good thought that it won't rain. But anyway, we're gonna try to raise money for their booster clubs and, and for some of the things that they need in the school. And also there'll be a $500 prize to whoever has the best talent out there from, from uh, all the surrounding schools. What time will the show be starting? Starts at uh, 7.30. The next one in 1967, the next year, uh, on a more serious note, Melvin Belli. Famed attorney. Yes. He uh, represented um, Jack Ruby. Right, right. Uh, for, for shooting uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Oswald yeah. Uh-huh. And also represented the Rolling Stones when they did the failed, tragic Altamont oh, Speedway concert. Right. He got all that started and did the legal work for it. But he came to Arkansas, and here he is uh, just talking about the legal system in America. You've got a better shake here than any place else in the world. You've got, uh, I think the, the fairest trial of any place is, is uh, the United States military courts, and then secondly, in our civilian courts, criminal or civil. And thank God we, we don't have assassinations every day. It just seems like uh, we might. And I don't think there's much crime in the streets in proportion here as there are in other countries uh, throughout the world. But uh, we, we give everybody a, a square shake here, and uh, we're, we're doing an awfully good job in our court. And I resent some of these uh, politicians, particularly Nixon coming out and saying about uh, uh, law and order with the ethnic overtones. Why doesn't he, if he is a lawyer, and he claims that he's a good one, I doubt it, why doesn't he use the expression due process of law? then we know what we're talking about. Due process of law is the goodness that we do have in our courts. Everybody gets a square shake in this country. If they didn't, in Alaska, Florida, Portland, Maine, San Diego, some lawyer someplace as a watchdog would stand in his hind feet and see that the guy did get a square shake. Now another actor mm -hmm. um, and singer, part of the Rat Pack, Sammy Davis Jr. This is another strange episode in Arkansas history, he came to town to campaign for a man by the name of Sam Sparks. I don't know that name. Well, and neither does the internet. Um, wow. <laughs> I tried to get background on him, and I had to talk to Jim Pitcock, who, you know, was the longtime news director at KTV, and he covered him. He was uh, an African-American Republican who was a delegate to the Republican National Convention in 72, mm -hmm. and he also ran for state Senate and somehow was buddies with Sammy Davis Jr. And so he came to town okay. to lend a hand. No, I no, I have not. I have not done any campaigning at all. I'm not here. I wouldn't care if he was running on any ticket he's my friend and i came here to help him he is a friend we've been friends for years and uh, this is he was the only man i know it took me all these years i'm 46 and i'm in this state for the first time based upon <laughs> my man <laughs> so um speaking of entertainers and politics this is an interesting fella pat paulson now he became famous on the Smothers Brothers show. He started as, a, I believe, a stand-up comic, very deadpan delivery. Yes, and yes. And uh, apparently, and how all this started was in 68, CBS had sold a five-minute political spot during the Smothers Brothers show. And so the writers decided, well, we'll get Pat Paulson to run for president. And 
he did, and it was a joke, and it kept coming up year after mm-hmm. year. But in 1972, I mean, the big year was 68. Right. But in 72, which was the same year that Arkansas Congressman Wilbur Mills was thinking about mm-hmm. running for president, he stopped through Arkansas, uh, Pat Paulson did, and he was asked about politics. Well, the problem with my posters are they all get stolen in about two hours. Now, in New Hampshire, uh, Representative Mills had, uh, uh, what's his name? Congress. Yeah, Congressman yeah. Mills, excuse me, I downgraded him there a little. Congressman Mills uh, had his stuck along the roadway, and they're still there, you know. Nobody wanted them, but they all stole mine, I'll tell you. So you are an active candidate. No, I'm not. I'm out of the race. It would seem this might be the year you would win. Well, it'll have to be all right in, and that might be a little difficult. Uh, If if McGovern and Nixon sort of uh, are even, it's possible uh, we could uh, uh, sneak in with the grand prize and have all that power and all that glory. Now, Archie Bunker is what all of us politicians want, anyway. True. Archie Bunker has come out for McGovern. Are you supporting either one of the presidential candidates? Uh, you mean Carol Connors? Yes, come Carol for, Connor. Uh, right. Yes. Well, no, I don't support any of the candidates, and I, uh, I don't think it's important what show people think about candidates. I don't think it's any importance at all. So Pat Paulson was actually, you know, it was an ongoing thing all the way up until '92. Yeah. He was even on the ballot in New Hampshire, like officially qualified. Yes. Registered and all that. And. Um, Got one percent of the vote, and but actually came in right behind Bill Clinton, <laughs> who had more than one percent. Yes, yes. Well, he was the comeback kid, right. remember? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So now let's see if you can guess who this celebrity is. It's either Rin Tin Tin or Lassie. <laughs> yeah. And if you're talking 1973, it would be Lassie. Yeah. And it was not the first Lassie. Um. She was here for a promotional thing, as, as all all these folks would <laughs> right. do. But um, we talked to, KTV talked to uh, her trainer, and he had been around since the 40s at the beginning. Well, this is a fit generation. Now, a lot of people, uh, when I say fit generation, they think there's five lassies. That's not true. There's only been one lassie and uh, at, at a time. We don't have one dog do one trick and one dog do another. I read one time there's 18 lassies, but we only have one lassie. But this is the fifth generation. And I started in 1942, uh, Elizabeth Taylor, Roddy McDowell. She was 11 years old, he was 12. And uh, that was 31 years ago. And Lassie's still doing all right for me. This is getting a little later, so mm-hmm. maybe some people will recognize this person, Henry Winkler who played the Fonz on Happy Days. Right. Um, what is he on now? Uh, um, it's Barry on HBO. Yes. He's won an Emmy for that portrayal. Yes. He's and so I've, good. I've seen the episode a couple of times, or seen the program. It, is it that good? Oh, it's really good. Yeah. And it can be really funny, but it can be very dark. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Bill so Hager I is mean, a Yeah, I need to check man. it out. Yeah, it's, it's good, but just be aware. Yeah. So this was the first season of Happy Days. And so it really hadn't taken off. But it was about to. Yes. And he was a very minor character the first couple of seasons. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> he was booked to come to McCain Mall. You know, this was back in the days everything happened at the mall. Mm-hmm. And there was a big dance contest. You know, they had a 50s dance contest, sock hop type of thing. And here he is... Out of character. As a matter of fact, uh, I am the furthest from Fonzie uh, ever. I went to a, a private school. I wore a, um, a, a blue jacket with a crest on, you know, and gray slacks. And uh, I was uh, never, never like that. As a matter of fact, I feared for my life if I came across a guy in a black leather jacket. Is that I'm an actor. I trained for nine years. I got a master's from Yale University, and I love to act. And I'm very proud of it. And. Uh, it is, the, it is the second best way to live your life. And uh, the first is to be who you are and enjoy yourself. And it's just, a, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, I really enjoy it. How about the Happy Days series, are you? Happy Days series is now 16th in the country. We're very proud of that. And uh, 
We owe it a lot. We owe a lot to uh, Jerry Paris, uh, our director, who was also on the Dick Van Dyke Show as the next door neighbor, and he is incredible. He is just incredible. What's the future for Henry Winkler? I hope. I don't know. Um, Lords of Flatbush is uh, the first film I made, and that's coming around the country now, and it's about a street gang in the 50s. And I just hope to continue to work as an actor and raise a family on the money I make uh, in my profession. Are you married? What's I'm single. I'm 28 years old. And my birthday is October 30th, and I love presents. Let's have a little fun now. A little, a little fun. fun. All right. A little yeah. fun. All right, let me tell you something. Nice guys don't always finish last, but you got to work your tail off in order to get to the top three. Hey. And that was kind of a half-hearted yeah. uh, going into character there. Yes, yes. But, you know, he mentioned the show was number 16. I looked it up, and it was. And the next season, it dropped to 49. But then they made That's him. That's when they retooled it. Mm -hmm. He became the star. It jumped to number 11 the next season. And by the fourth season, number one, back to TV. Mm -hmm. um, Bonanza was huge for years and years and years. And the father was Lauren Green, most amazing voice and he came to Arkansas to help raise money for the March of Dimes. When you consider that every hour of every day, that's 24 hours a day, 25 families in this country suffer the blight of a child born with a birth defect, and all that means, the pain and frustration for the rest of their lives, then you know how important it is for the March of Dimes now to overcome that obstacle as well. Back to TV, there was a brand new news magazine on ABC. It was actually the second one after 60 Minutes. I mean, 60 Minutes had been on for years. Mm -hmm. uh, had been number one top-rated news show, and there were no others. No one copied it. Well, ABC decided to in 1978, and they came on with a show called 2020. Which is still going. It sure is. Yeah. Uh, when it came on, us in the newsroom kind of referred to it as 60 Minutes Light. Because it was, you it was know. a little popular, a little bit more. Yes. Faster paced. Yes. You know, none of this knocking on the door. Right. Oh, gosh. You know. Right. And it was hosted by Hugh Downs. And so he came to Little Rock on a promotional visit, and he talked to KETV. This is 1979, the second year it had been on the air. The main thing is, I think, to open a, that window on the world to uh, people for a multi-subject hour that is tied together at least by a, a focal point and, a, uh, and, and maybe by its very diversity, because we hope to do personality portraits and, and various features that, in addition to investigative reporting. So this last one was a thrill for me. It was the very first interview I conducted uh, and the first story I ever wrote. And this was in 81, so I'd have been just 20, 21, and I'd just become the weekend producer. And Dizzy Gillespie was coming to town, the greatest jazz trumpet player he and Louis Armstrong right. but I grew up playing trumpet and just loved this guy and I weaseled my way into finding out where his hotel room was and getting to go up there and we interviewed him and I came back and wrote the story and Jim Pitcock my boss wouldn't let me voice it because I wasn't a reporter, I was a producer, mm -hmm. which was fine with me. So mm -hmm. I handed it off to a guy named Randy Weber. But this was my first big story, my first television interview, my first, we call them packages, right. first uh, big story. So I, I found it just yesterday in the archives. So um, here's my experience with... Although approaching the age of 65, Gillespie has not let that slow his pace, having recently toured Europe. The audiences keep him going. I love live, yeah. I like to see expressions. 
I had to be close enough to see expressions too. Because I do get something from an audience, man, you know. Yeah, yeah, that audience can move you. He has been playing so long, even he doesn't know what sparked his interest in music, but that does not keep him from lending a tale. Uh, one day when I was about uh, 16, 16 and a half months, I, I had this dream. And I jumped up out of the bed and hit the floor and grabbed, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> Dizzy Gillespie is a living part of history that shaped a truly American style of music. He is a breed that will be difficult to replace in the music industry. Music is music. The same notes are coming from all of the instruments. Yeah, so um, what difference? It, 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 just since this whatever setting, it grooves. This is Randy Weber reporting for News Scene 7. All right, you can find these clips and so many more. Just search for the Prior Center uh, online, and you'll go there and find all these archives. Randy? Thank you. Thank you. I'll see you next week. I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. It brings a tear into my eyes. Arkansas' Henry Glover is one of the great unknown behind-the-scenes men in the music business whose legacy continues to this day. Born May 21, 1921 in Hot Springs, Henry Glover's father, John Dixon Glover, was a bathhouse attendant. Radio stations KTHS in Hot Springs and KLRA in Little Rock exposed young Henry to country music. The live music scene in booming Hot Springs also helped influence Glover's eclectic tastes. This transferred to the incredible variety of artists Henry Glover would produce in his career. Early country artists like Hawkshaw Hawkins, Grandpa Jones, the Delmore Brothers, and Moon Mulligan, R&B artists like Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, Little Willie John, and Joey D and the Starlighters, blues artists like Paul Butterfield and Muddy Waters, and singers like Sarah Vaughn and Dinah Washington. An arranger, musician, and producer, Henry Glover also wrote a multitude of hit singles, like the off-covered Blues Stay Away From Me, written with the Delmore Brothers and Wayne Rainey. Blues Stay Away From Me has been recorded by the Everly Brothers, Merle Haggard, Gene Vincent, Clyde McFadder, Ray Price, Les Paul, Ace Cannon, Jeff Beck, Doc Watson, Slim Whitman, Sleepy LaBeef, Levon Helm, and this version with Helm and the Band from their 1993 album, Jericho. Phillips County-born musician Levon Helm worked with Glover when Helm was a member of the Hawks, which backed Huntsville-born rockabilly star Ronnie Hawkins on the roulette label. Glover's relationship with Helm and the Hawks continued after they morphed into the band in the late 60s. Glover and Helm were also partners in RCO Records in the 1970s. Henry's one of the, one of the best Arkansas <laughs> that we've ever had. Well, you know, him and Sid Nathan uh, started King Records. You know, uh, James Brown's label, and uh, Henry cut all those Hank Ballard and the Midnighter songs. He's cut as many damn hit records just about as anybody you can name. The Muddy Waters Woodstock album, which features Phillips County native Helm and included two songs by Brinkley-born Louis Jordan, was produced by Glover. It was Muddy Waters' last record for Chess, the label where he got his start, and it won a Grammy in 1975. They take your love and your money. Considered a trailblazer in that he was one of the first black record executives for a major white label, King Records, Glover forged his own trail in many other ways as a renaissance man of the recording industry. Glover was an arranger, producer, talent scout, A&R man, label owner, and writer. Glover was also a trumpeter, and early in his career, the Garland County native worked with Thelonious Monk, Lucky Millinder, and Bull Moose Jackson, among countless others. However, actual records by Henry Glover as an artist are hard to find. Here's a King 78 by Glover called Baby, You've Been Wrong. 
In his working life, Glover was primarily an arranger and producer, but he might be most recognizable to the public as a songwriter. Few may know the Glover name, but most know the songs. The Peppermint Twist, Tear It Up's On Your Letter, and many others, some written under his pseudonym, Henry Bernard. His songs have been recorded by artists from Rosemary Clooney to the Ramones, who recorded Glover's California Sun for their second album in 1977 and made it a staple of their live shows. Glover told the Country Music Hall of Fame that growing up in a very unusual town, Hot Springs, probably had a lot to do with establishing a certain thing in his life. Glover died April 7, 1991. His contributions as a writer, arranger, producer, and musician to country, rock, jazz, blues, and pop music have yet to be fully calculated. Here in its entirety is Hey Let's Twist by Joey D and the Starlighters, written and produced by Garland County's Henry Glover. <laughs> All you do is this Hold your arms out straight And let your hips rotate Then all you gotta do is what I tell you to Uh-huh oh, Come on, come on Right now, let's out Let's hit, don't quit oh, Come on, come on It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook for Arkansas. Arkansas is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Executive producer is Keith Merks. Arkansas is underwritten by the Old State House Museum in Little Rock, a museum of the Department of Arkansas Heritage. Arkansas, since 1998. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Springdale, and Ozark. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. And Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. Contributors today included Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Anna Pope, Randy Dixon, Roby Brock, and Stephen Cook. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Tomorrow on our program, a conversation with Elliot West about his new book, Continental Reckoning, The American West in the Age of Expansion. He's going to be speaking about that book later this week at the Pryor Center on the Fayetteville Square. Today's show was produced inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville. Hope you had a great weekend. Look forward to talking to you again tomorrow. I'm Kyle Kellums.